HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Did you know that Wisconsin wins more national and international cheese awards than any other state or country? Learn more about Wisconsin's cheese-making history at wisconsincheese.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're telling the stories behind iconic dishes. We learn what it will take to save New York's most famous egg cream, discover the importance of the goat neck in the East Village, and take a trip to India for delicious flatbreads. Our customers who come in to get egg creams and t-shirts, they love to talk about their childhood or their teenage years or their college years. I was living in uh, Nepal in northern India, and out there there's a real famous dish, a classic dish I should say, is called paya. Parathe Wali Gali, or as it awkwardly translates in English, the lane of the stuffed flatbread makers, is probably one of the most popular food streets in Old Delhi. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. A few weeks back, we were supposed to head down to San Juan for the Dorado Beach Culinary Getaway at the Ritz-Carlton Reserve, but due to some plane mishaps, some travel mistakes, and just not being able to get there, we never quite made it to one of the best new food festivals in the world. That being said, that would not stop us from having a great conversation with Jose Enrique, who talks to us about the island, the current state of the San Juan food scene, and how, after Hurricane Maria, the island is stronger than ever. We also dig deep, deep, deep into the archives and have Brandon Cook, a.k.a. Star Child, and the new romantic who plays a legendary set. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes.
and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. We have Cook, Jose, Enrique on the line. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. How are you doing? Good. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm sorry for my flights getting delayed and not making it down to San Juan, but I saw the photos and I heard about the food and everything looked delicious. Well, it's all good. We're here now, and thanks for having me. Beautiful. Um, you know what? I can honestly say this, that look, since we're talking about the pre-hurricane and after-hurricane, I think before there was a, you could see how things were just getting more developed as far as farming-wise, right? Like, like people who were actually growing things and, and, and agriculture was just getting a little bit, just a little bit more organized because I think that's a big word in this. Organization, I think, is actually the key. Um, you can have somebody growing arugula, and then the next guy's growing arugula, and the next guy's growing arugula, and then actually the farmers in the middle of the island getting this, getting all that produce down here. That becomes like an issue, you know. And I think when they start getting organized and like, oh well, I'll pick everything up in the center, and then I'll drive things down. When they start getting organized, I think it starts creating more of a buzz. Things just start generating a, a quick, like a lot faster, you know. So mm-hmm. I think after the hurricane, um, I think it's come back with a vengeance. And I want to say, let's say you and I just figured out we're going to start just, you know, we're going to start planting tomatoes and, and microgreens or whatnot. And after the hurricane, everything kind of got torn down. But since we were doing kind of good, it's like, oh, we're going to rebuild now. We're just going to make it better. We're going to make it bigger. Since we already know all the errors we did at the beginning, you know how sometimes you want to start something and you start it off, oh, I should have put this here or that there. Now you already went through it. So it gave you a chance to start off even bigger and better. And I think that's what happened. After the hurricane, I think that's exactly what's going on right now. What did the storms show with some of the sustainability issues of the island? Um, I know that you had gone on the record before about being able to source materials um, so what did this, what did this, far, what did the storms really highlight about some of the, the, the problems that you as a chef or people who were just getting food for their homes were running into on a day-to-day basis? Um, you know what? I don't think so. I don't think it did that. I, I, I think, I think for me, I mean, I knew what the problems are, you know, like hmm. we were always, the, the issues were always like, Okay, I want seven pounds of this, and it was hard to get. Yeah, seven pounds, and I was like, I only got four, and you're gonna get here Tuesday, and then you got here Thursday. So those are just that's just what I was getting at before, organization-wise, you know. Um, what the hurricane did was just basically what I what I actually emphasized before. It's just everything I came back with a vengeance, you know, like all everything's just more planned. Everything's everybody's more more focused on it, you know. I, I see like everybody's a little bit hungrier. You know, that's, that's what I see. So how are you organizing uh, with farms in the rebuilding? Um, what, is, what are some of the success stories? What are some of the struggles? How have you, now that you're reinvigorated and coming back with a vengeance, talk to me a little bit about working hand in hand with them. So, I mean, what I do is I just order for them. You know, that's all I do. I order for them. And, and it's what I've been doing since I opened up the restaurant 12 years ago in La Pasita, and I moved to Gondado. That's what I've consistently been doing. And I think that's, you can do more, obviously, you know, but I think that's what you need to do. It's just order. And all I do is order. And it was before I had a board, you know, like a, like a, like a just magic market board. And when you'd walk into the restaurant, I would write down what the special was. And when I ran out of it, I would just erase it, you know? So if they brought me 12 pounds of kale and I ran out of kale, it wasn't a big deal because I would just take it off the board, you know? Now I have a written menu, and I need a little bit more consistency on their behalf, but I've also written the menu in a way where it's like, for instance, I'm reading off it right now, uh, sides have greens, and it just says greens. And those are sautéed, mm. and then it's like it can be anything. If they bring me bok choy, if they bring me kale, if they bring me green beans, if they bring me um, gandulas, whatever, I can just sauté them, okay? 
Same with the fish of the day. The fish of the day is usually local, and it just says fish of the day because it's whatever they bring me. So I I ran the the menu in a way where I have a little bit more leeway, you know, a little bit more, more space. Super the day, like everything is like of the day or or, or the coach of the day. So then it's like whatever veggies I have or whatever fresh fresh fish I have, I put on there. So all I do is, I mean, all I do is order from them and, and, you know, just, that's how I back them up, you know? And honestly, it's, it's actually, I don't even feel good saying that because they're the ones helping me out. You know, they're the ones giving me all this great produce, which I just have to like barely salt and season in the survey because it's so beautiful that I'm not, you know, I don't want to ruin it, you know? Of course. Um, and what is the flip side of that conversation? Can you talk a little bit more about what the farmers are saying to you, how they rebuilt? And, you know, I know that you ordering from them and putting their produce and what they harvest on the menu is one of the best things you can do. But what are they saying? How do they feel about rebuilding um, and working with chefs and people who are buying their food? Honestly, I don't want to put words in their mouth, but if I had to say anything, I would be like, this is just life, you know? This is just how life is. Like, we've been dealing with hurricanes all our lives. You know, this one just happened to hit us right through the middle of us, and it was a big one, and it was just more serious than all the, than a lot of the other ones. But this is just life, man, you know? It's like, just like if you're in, a, like in an area where you get a lot of tornadoes, you're going to have to deal with it, you know? It's just... It's just you, you know what I'm saying? It's just part of life. Yeah, I do. You got to keep going. What are you going to do? You know? It's like there's an old keep saying opening. that's like, correct. If I'm walking and I stop walking, you push me along. If I, if I actually kneel down and then I actually fall to the ground, then shoot me in the head. You know what I'm saying? It's harsh, but it's, you know what I'm saying? What are you going to do? You're going to lay down and cry? You got to keep going. That's it. You have the farmers who you're working with and buying from, but then there's also people who work in the restaurant and the other uh, people who are part of the hospitality business. Um, how have they yes. been able to come back? What have they added to people who are um, part of you know the tourism industry of uh, of giving back to San Juan of, of rebuilding uh, you know what was lost uh, in Puerto Rico. I don't know. Like, you come here, you work. If it's good, it's good. I, we're, it's, you know, like, we just do what we believe in. I do what I believe in, you know? And I believe in just taking stress off people and giving people a good time and giving them a good ambience. And I, I, I believe in just, like, sit down and I got you. You know, I'm going to feed you. I'm going to have you a good time. And that's, you know, that's just what I do. You know, I'm not necessarily doing anything for anybody. It's just... It's just what I what I know how to do, whether or not there's a hurricane. You know what I'm saying? It's it's. So I don't do know. It just that... feels weird to me. Say, am I rebuilding? I'm not rebuilding anything. I'm just doing what I need to do. You know. Right. So I mean, I guess then is the perception of rebuilding or the perception of that things were completely knocked down the wrong perception? Is it just? you know, life as usual there, or is it just, this is a new challenge for you to face as a chef and as a business owner, and then um, just moving forward one day at a time? Yeah, I mean, what else are you going to do, you know? It's just, I don't know, honestly, for me, it's like, I don't know. I just don't even think like that, you know? I'm, like, completely on the opposite side of thinking like that. I'm just like, we go, we get up, and we move, and we do what we love, and that's it, and that's enough. If I'm happy day-to-day with what I'm putting out, then that's enough because, you know, you want to help here, you want to help there, but you know what? If, if what you do, you love what you're doing, and you're happy about it, then that's enough for me, you know? And, and hopefully people around it, around me and, and, and whoever come, they love what I do, you know? And if they not, I try to, you know, I, I try my best to, to make what I do the best I can, and that's it. And how has the local dining public responded? Are people eating out? Are people focusing more on cooking uh, local food, using local ingredients? Um, have the I think people are – I think it's both. I think it's both. Mm-hmm. People are definitely eating out, and people are definitely – when they are not, they're focusing on local ingredients. You're completely right. They're doing both. 
people are like, people love going out in Puerto Rico anyways. You know, it's like, we love going out no matter what, you know, it's like, it's always, I mean, and I have to say, I think party is like, it's, it, party is not the word because party just seems like a party, you know, it's more than that. It's socializing, you know, it's actually, that's what it is. It's way more than partying. It's, it's just going out and socializing and, and feeling the vibe and just and meeting your friends and meeting new people and, and just going out, you know, that's, that's, I think something we love doing, whether it's going to the beach or going to the mountains, it's just something we love doing. And as far as, as cooking, well, yeah, everything's grown. Everybody's looking to, more towards what's fresh, what's from here, what's, what's grown in Puerto Rico. So even if you're in your home, you're looking more towards that. So it's both. I mean, was there a time or a trend when looking outside of the ingredients often on the island was more in fashion? And now it's, now it's shifted back to farmer's markets or sourcing locally. Hmm. I think, I, I don't know if it was a trend. I think it was more like that's what there was, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to think about what happens. If you're going to go into that, you got to think about what happened in Puerto Rico, the 50s, what happened, Jones Act, you got to get into all those things. Um, but mainly, there was agriculture was just taken from here, you know? And there was no agriculture. So it wasn't a trend buying, oh, great, it's from states or from wherever. It was just like, well, that's more like that's what there usually is. I think now you get to see people are just a lot more into agriculture. People are a lot more into like locally fished, um, which obviously, obviously there's not that much, but it grows every day. So, I mean, and and it makes sense. What do you want to eat? You want to eat this tomato that was picked a day ago or three hours ago, or you want to pick this tomato that was picked a week ago and it's been in a container and now you have it in your supermarket. You know what I'm saying? Like, it just makes more sense, you know? Yeah, I mean, do you find that as the local cuisine and ingredients and having that local tomato becomes more popular, becomes normal, that the overall dining scene will shift in Puerto Rico, that people are going to come down and want that local food experience and not just their Caribbean catch-all type of dining experience? Hmm. Well... I think Caribbean is a huge part of that local tomato. You know what I'm saying? Because we are mm-hmm. in the Caribbean. I, I think it's I think it's really important. But I completely agree, and and it it becomes a part of of I think it's what we want to give out. You know, so it's what we got to give. You know, like at times when I opened up um, the original Sandique, when I opened that restaurant up, that many it was probably eighty five percent. Um, imported everything, you know. I would have like a 15%, and that was like the plantains, the milk, obviously, um, some yams, some fruit, a little bit of fish. Uh, maybe I would get guinea hen, and then with the years, it would it started going to like, oh, well, now it's down to a 70, right? Now it's like 50. I got to a point where some days I was like 75% of my menu was local, and I was like, you know, I was like, I was like, I'm crying today, you know? And after the hurricane, well, that all changed, obviously, because, you know, things got torn up. But then I don't want to say that. I don't want to be quoted on this. I don't know if it was within a year, within a year and a half, but it just started just growing back rapidly. So right after the hurricane, everything was important. And then, like, it was quick. Like, the turnaround was maybe for people who who were actually doing the farming wasn't quick. But for me, it was, like, within a year, I was up to another, like, 50% 50% today, you know, and like, it's, it, it was good, you know, so it's, it's definitely happening, you know.
This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Wisconsin has storied cheese history that begins with Swiss, German, and Italian settlers in the 1800s and continues today with nonstop innovation and award-winning artisanship. Wisconsin was the first state to establish cheese-grade standards and the first to require that every cheese plant be overseen by a licensed cheesemaker. It is the only place outside of Europe where one can pursue an elite master cheesemaker certification. All of this helps Wisconsin Cheese win more national and international cheese awards than any other state or country. Take, for example, Decatur Swiss Cheese Co-op, who have made cheese since the 1940s. Steve Stetler is a Wisconsin master cheesemaker who developed several new cheeses for the co-op, including a European-style Havarti, a Swiss lace cheese called Stetler Swiss, and a Colby Swiss marbled cheese. His cheeses have won awards at the Wisconsin State Fair and the World Championship Cheese Contest. To learn more about Wisconsin's award-winning cheesemakers, visit wisconsincheese.com. It's this, it's this confluence of, you know, a, a natural disaster and having to rebuild a lot of this infrastructure on your own, but then also mixed with this desire for food tourism to have a more authentic experience, plus you know, celebrating your local cuisine that seems to have led to this new moment where the future is wide open for what you want to do. Yeah. Um, yes, in a way. Um, in another, it's, it's, it's what you want to do, but it's also like, like I said before, like, dude, like you give me good ingredients and I'm here trying not to mess them up. You know what I'm saying? So, of course, I want to give everything local, but why? Because it makes sense, because it's grown here, because it, if it grows here, it means it's like, it, you know, it's something I should be eating. It, it, it also means that it, it was recently picked or harvested. It means that the flavor is better. It means the ingredients better. It's just, it just makes everything taste better, and I have to do a little bit less work. Maybe it costs me more, but who cares? You know, my work isn't actually finding the ingredient, not in having to make something taste good, which is, oh, that fruit is so unripe and it came from, I don't know where, oh, well, you got to cook it or put sugar. No, I can actually cut the fruit and put it on a plate. And that's all I do because it's so damn tasty, you know? So <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I love, you know? Do you think that there is more opportunity because, you know, there's more pop-ups and there's more trailers and there's maybe like a little bit of a wiggle room of what you can be to be a restaurant tour in Puerto Rico these days? 
Um, yeah, and there's and, and the problems in Trailers and a lot more restaurants. There's restaurants opening up left and right, and I believe it's amazing. I think it's great, honestly. I yeah, what is the barrier? Yeah, I mean, what is the community like right now uh, between chefs and businesses, and and uh, is it is it a sense of togetherness? Is people, everyone helping each other? Um, I mean, you know how chefs are. Come on, they they love each other. They fight each other. You know, they it's like a soap opera half the time. Well, in Puerto Rico, like you know, if if I don't know you, you dated my cousin in high school. You know what I'm saying? Like you know, I you it's so like San Juan. Like everybody knows each other. You know. Mm-hmm. Which is makes it even more soap opera, more like a soap opera. But, but I'm on the side where I'm extremely happy. You know, I think obviously, it's like, well, what you actually what you just said, I think it applies to everybody. Like you can pick on your brother, but nobody can pick on him. You know, mm-hmm. you can pick on your cousin, but if somebody goes and picks on your cousin, you're not gonna let them do it. You know, so yeah. of course somebody picks on, on one of us, we're all gonna unite, but. But I love the fact that there's restaurants and bars and things opening. You know, I, I think it's great. I think it's great for the culture. And you know, what's done right is done right, and it will prevail. And, and and but at the end of the day, I want it all to work. You know, I want more places to go. So with all the spotlight being put on San Juan and the rebuilding, and now that we're a few years out, there's a lot more journalism. There's a lot more tourism coming. Um, you know, what do you hope? What what stories do you hope that they focus on? Like, what do you want them to talk about when they come to the to the island, um, and they spend their money, and they eat, and they hang out. Well, that's a rough one. <laughs> I mean, they're journalists, so what do you want? You know, you want the truth. You see what I'm I saying? I want the truth. Like, yeah, give me the yeah, truth. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what I'm telling you. Like, what do I want them to focus on? The truth. So, yeah. it's like, I would love them to say everything's amazing, but that's not even life. You know, so they're going to, hopefully, they focus on the truth, and they say the truth, and, you know... Um, what would be great? What would I love them to focus on? The fact that, you know, if they could find out and, and look at places that are actually doing things where they care about using these local ingredients, which I think all of a lot of us are doing and are trying, you know, and, and, on a, and another thing, um, which I've always thought is just very true. Um, and sometimes time, times make, make this change, but it shouldn't, for instance, you want to eat pork? Go right down in the middle of the island. Go into the middle of the mountains and find an amazing pork. You know, you want to eat fried fish? Go right on the coast. You know, and and it's a piece of cake. I mean, most most times, like the coast is like half an hour from the middle of the mountains. You know, Puerto Rico's tiny, but that that I think is something really important. Sometimes you're in the coast and you want to eat, you go eat pork and it's not good. I'm like, well, you know what? Because you're not supposed to be eating pork in the middle of the beach. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And and I think. That's changed your like, oh, why can't we have pork in the middle of the beach? Well, you know what? Because that's not what, in the middle of the beach, you actually, people who live there, they go fishing and they fry fish all their life. They haven't been killing hogs all their life, you know? You go to the middle of the, and I think that part of Puerto Rico, I think it's beautiful and, and it needs to be pushed on. Like when I was a kid, we'd go, oh, you want longaniza? We would go, you know, to a certain place to eat longaniza. All right. You want to eat pork? You go to Guadalupe to eat pork. You want to go here? You go here to eat pork. And you want to eat fried fish? And you go here. And that's especially being in such a small island. You can actually do it. You know, you can travel, see the island, and actually go to a place and drive there just for their chuleta can can. You know, just because they have a great pork chop. I think, I think that's beautiful. I love that. Um, yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about the culinary getaway at Dorado Beach, which came back for its third year, even though it started about in 2015, because it took a few years off to rebuild. Um, what do you think the importance of this event returning, and what did you want people, or what did you hope people took away from it when they came this year? Honestly, I love it. I've been doing the event since the beginning. In the first year I did it, it was... Um, Jose Andres, obviously, and uh, it was Anthony Verdane and Eric Dupere and myself, and uh, it was such an amazing event, mainly because, uh, you know what, it really has a lot to do with, with the location, it has to do a lot with that rich reserve, it's, it's so, uh, 
it's so elegant, but at the same, it's so casual. You feel like you're, I think it expresses a lot about Puerto Rico, honestly. I think, and I think that's what, I think that getaway, that, that helps out a lot. It, it's like, it talks about Puerto Rico. Listen, we could be here in our flip-flops and our, and our shorts and our t-shirt, but it's just like elegant and casual. And I think that's, that, that place exudes that. It, it, it expresses that, you know? And having all these chefs just giving, it's not just, it's not just like, you know, doing food. It's more than that. You know, we get to talk, you get to educate, you get to people come up to you and ask you things. And, and I think it exemplifies just that part of Puerto Rico where it's like, it can be so nice and elegant, but so laid back at the same time. And I love that. It taps into what you were talking about earlier about this idea of socializing and bringing people together and how it's not just partying, but it's a way of life. Yes, correct. Awesome. Correct. So it's exactly what it is. Yeah. Um, so as, as you look towards the future, um, what are you most excited about as far as the local food scene? Um, what would you like to see happen and how can other people help? How can people support uh, Puerto Rico and, and the food it has to offer? We're just, I don't know, we're one of many, you know, and, and we are all like amazing, you know, that's the world. It's just variety. And I think I love variety. I love, I, I mean, I love variety. That's what it is. And we have something to offer just like any other part of the world, but we're in the Caribbean. It's hot. It's warm. It's beautiful. You know, it's, I don't know. It, it, it's a fun time. Just like you would love to fly to any other world. I mean, it's, I've always said this, you know, we've got the international airport. You can, you can get on a trip from here straight to Madrid. You know, you're here in Madrid, you're in eight hours, Manhattan, three and a half hours, like straight flight. And at the same time, even though you've got this airport where you can take flights straight to Bogota, um, you can just also walk from the airport to the beach if you want. You know what I'm saying? Like you also get that other, Caribbean side to it, and I think that's beautiful. You know, you get kind of the best of both worlds in a way. Amazing. Well, Chef, thank you so much for your time. Um, where can people thank find you. out about the restaurant or about what you're up to? Where are you on Instagram, things like that? Yeah, just Jose Enrique, and Instagram is Jose Enrique PR, like Puerto Rico. That's it. We're here. Awesome. Well, thank you, Chef. I really appreciate you taking time to talk thank with me. Thank you. Thank and, you. Uh, I hope to catch that next flight, and I will see you soon. Yeah, well, pleasure. I'll be down here for you. Okay. All right, Jeff. Have a good day. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye, -bye.
Join Heritage Radio Network on Monday, November 11th for a raucous feast to toast a decade of food radio. Our 10th anniversary Bacchanal is a rare gathering of your favorite chefs, mixologists, storytellers, thought leaders, and culinary masterminds. We'll salute the inductees of the newly minted HRN Hall of Fame, who embody our mission to further equity, sustainability, and deliciousness. Explore the beautiful Palm House and Yellow Magnolia Cafe, taste and imbibe to your heart's content, and bid on once-in-a-lifetime experiences and tasty gifts for any budget at our silent auction. Tickets available now at heritageradionetwork.org slash gala. Oh, yeah. Eat them to save them. Welcome back. Star Child, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Hey, guys. How's it going? Doing pretty good. Love that shirt. Yeah, man. Thank you. That is that classic is, twin shadow. Shout out to George. Shouts out to George. Poppy. He's holding it down uh, Ten of the Tree right now for his weekend, <laughs> Twin Sunday. He does like a food dance party attendance out in L.A. Really? Yeah. Oh. It's really cool. Couple of dance offs. Mm-hmm. He always looks. He all, like I always roll in on Sunday looking bedraggled, fresh. Yeah. Always looks fresh. He's always fresh. Uh, so uh, welcome to the show. Hey, really good to have you here. Nice to talk to brothers, man. Twins. Yeah. Are you a brother? Twins. Yeah, I'm one of four. Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. What uh, What were you guys playing in the house? What music was on the stereo growing up? Um, a lot of like Stevie Wonder. I think a lot of like Stevie Wonder Genius Cycle mm. type stuff. Um. We we went to like a a, a pretty poppin' church called Union Temple in in Southeast DC. Had a great music like uh, division, and so we got a lot of that and uh, a lot were of you, Michael Jackson. Were you involved in the lot church of, music program? Uh, no, I wasn't. My, my mother uh, was growing up, but uh, we got a lot of that, and then we also got like all the great. 90s radio stuff like I was a huge DMX fan like Jay, oh. like Jay Z early Rockefeller Bad Boys Nelly like uh, that, and then we moved to Atlanta uh, and we went to the middle school and high school that like, Usher and Sierra and all these kids went to so that was like that's where we, we got a lot of so classic Motown gospel pop R and B R and B and then also I was um I spent a little time at, in, in the Unification Church, which has its weird uh, kind of like connection to John Denver, which okay. was <laughs> probably my first entrance into like Cut. traditional, you know, Caucasian folk music. Right. For lack of a better phrase. I, I think did John <laughs> did you, Denver. Did you grow yeah. any affinity for that? or was Oh, like, I love Country Roads. Are you serious? Okay. And then it's weird being a... But pe- like everyone, but I mean, everyone loves that song. Yeah. Any other John Denver songs? Well, that was like the only one we were supposed to sing. Okay. But I did see his like biography movie and had a little affinity towards his stories. Sad, tragic figures. I mean, it's good uh, storytelling. Really good storytelling. Great storytelling. Great storytelling. More than just like, as much as I love Sierra, like Ride It is not the most... I mean that's a great story too. But like but Sierra's catalogs is is wide and vast too. Like she yeah. has a song like Promise and sure. Promise is, is one of the best written songs of that decade. Like, you know? Yeah. That's and produced and performed. That song's amazing. So yeah. going up yeah. growing, going to that high school, was that just like kind of like all the middle school. Middle school. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's okay. Um going to the middle school was I uh, all the kids like listened to was like that was just, like the predominantly on like the playlist or other th- just Yeah. <laughs> I mean like it was crazy. Like I remember the week where like uh get Richard Die Trying came out. Yeah. It was like the month and like the Love Below came out and all that stuff and people having debates over what's the better like album and and I was like always the guy who was like trying to put each record in their proper context. It's okay. like listen, you know, I, I get like, what hey. you're saying. I mean no no look I was in Atlanta so it was like predominantly there was a lot of black folk, but there was a lot, like a lot of white kids who loved classic rock and I'd have to have full on arguments about why like you know, Jimmy Page's like pentatonic solos ain't really cutting it against like Carlos Santana or something like that. Like, you know what I mean? But like, this is sixth grade, you know? Yeah, right. And they don't really understand. I was like, no, but like, you have to understand where like, if Jimmy Page was sitting here right now, he would be like, he would be agreeing with me. Yeah, he would be. He'd be like, he's right. He's right. Like, <laughs> you know? like note for note, he's right. Like, I can't argue with. Or like Guns N' Roses. I mean, but I love all. The, I love everything. So when did you start uh, getting into making your own music, or how did that kind of come about? Um, you know, I, I was born in '92, so like all the kids know the day when they got a, a cell phone or got like mm-hmm. internet access, you know, or like a Mac kind of access. So sure. I think around the time I got GarageBand at some point in, in middle school, it was like, oh, here are the Pharrell-esque tools for me to assemble these musical ideas that have always, you know, been around. I think by that time, the idea of making your own music had become uh, way more accessible than absolutely. 
like we because we we grew up we were born eighty two, mm-hmm. and the idea of like making a record or making music really until like Mac just became a garage band was like well, wait you can actually make music unless you had a guitar or something like that. So was your approach, uh, like, did you just, like, play around with beats and loops and singing, or did you have, like, any musical training, or was it more, like, computer program first and then other stuff mm-hmm. came in? Well, my, all of my musical training was kind of steeped in, I'm, uh, in like, tenor saxophone and symphonic marching band. Oh, nice. And I kind of, like, taught myself all the other instruments. But in terms of, like, music production, it was, like, I went straight to making beats and rapping, and, like, me and my brothers used to rap and stuff, and I would be the one who would cut up all the samples and, like, chop it up. Favorite marching band song, though? Oh, man. In marching band? Yeah. It's, like, it's it's a dead heat tie between, like... Earth, Wind, and Fire in the Stone and, like, Cameo talking out the side of your neck. It's like, <laughs> you know, man, because those horn lines are just nasty. Yeah. Um, can we get a song? Yeah, sure. What are you going to play for us um, first? Fittingly, I'll play one of the first songs when I transition from rapping predominantly to singing songwriting. What's it called? It's called All My Lovers. Okay, great. Live on Snacky Tunes. took you from Rap. Atlanta to New York? Um, from Well, so I'm, I'm, I'm from D.C. and grew up in Maryland, and then we moved down to Atlanta about five years, and then we moved back to Maryland mm. for um, high school, and uh, I guess it's the, you know, the old school college 
situation. I had some irons in the fire, and one of them was SUNY Purchase nice. Acting yeah. Conservatory. How's your acting game? It's good. I got a video dropping tomorrow. It's like a mini little short film. So yeah. There's a little bit of that. What's the premise? What's the song? Um, it's Mood. You okay. guys played mm-hmm. earlier. Um, it's kind of like... I guess all the videos I do, they're trying to just deal with the influences and, and deal with how I've kind of... You know, there's. I mean, there's a long story of like self-identity and trying to figure out who you are, especially as a black man and then a young black boy. Like, and so my influence is all the people have kind of like, in many ways, and everyone can relate to it. it you figure out kind of what you want to do or what you can possibly do. You know, representation kind of matters. So the video is like a cauldron of all these different influences, like Michael Jackson bad video and. Mm. Um, all the other people I've played for and stuff like that. I mean, you've played for some. You've got you've, you've got, got a, a nice nice list of rosters of collaborators. Good being, people. Yeah, twenty four. I would say three. Twenty three. <laughs> oh, that's all right. No, no, it's okay. Uh, and so, uh, I mean, I know the Solange tour happened while you were in college, which we both saw you uh, play, mm-hmm. and then we saw the Bowery Ballroom show. Yeah, and, and a bunch of those. Oh. Yeah, and we've known Dev for a long time from the show and other stuff we, we've done with him. So from his short lived magic career. Yeah, he is awesome at sleight of hand magic. Is he? Yeah, I didn't know. Yeah, true story. True so fact. Oh. now that you are kind of like you know playing like supporting roles, and now you are really moving into your own kind of stuff. How has like the tables been turned where you supported them, and then they are now supporting you? Or what advice have they given you as you start to branch out on your own? Yeah, career? I, I really wouldn't. I really wouldn't say it's 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 like that. Yeah. yet. I mean, I'm just waiting until Solange drops her album it's it's gonna be phenomenal like, yeah. and i'm so super stoked to to play and help help her out in any way it's been cool i guess because they all um our relationships kind of were founded off of like we got to meet each other and they knew that yeah. i had these talents or things that i could do to help contribute and um part of like the audition processes were like i played them some of my music so they kind of know or knew and i've been talking to dev since i was 17 and sending him stuff and it's like the, it, we're all just kind of like friends and family, and it's it's they're just really supportive. They're like, yeah, all right. That's awesome. I mean, it's so nice. I think especially, I would say maybe with like the internet and social media and things like that. Like, mm-hmm. it's never been easier to be supportive or to like find collaborations. Um, in the same way, when you talk about just getting Garage Band, it's just like, all right, I really want to work with you. I'm gonna track. You down? I think I think that it's was your tricky. story. With, yeah, it's, I mean, but it's, it's tricky. It's tricky to, it's tricky. to, to say because it's there's a fine line. Like I, I like to talk about it. Like I, my family, we're all from Mississippi and, and Native American, and there's there's a level of like intuition and, and primitive dreams and things like that. I don't want to get into so much, but I'll say this: I wouldn't have contacted any of those people if I didn't really deeply feel like. I had a I had a place with them or to help or can you, like. Can you, you talk know. a little bit more about that? So, for instance, like uh, I mean, I'll do interviews and people will be like, oh, or I'll play shows and people are like you're just like blood orange and stuff. And and sometimes it can really come off like you know uh, uh, divisive or sure. something like that. But but really, it's like you know, Dev and I, we can just sit in a room and talk. Me and Adam, kindness and yeah. Solange, we can talk about like Solange has a shelved country record that she made when she was younger than me you know what i mean like we all have the same kinds of influences and just cut from Mm. the same cloth in different corners of the table is that country album all john denver covers not at all i don't (laughs) believe so at all they're all original and like amazing really yes but i mean i think like the concept of that is like as you find your place in the world like you find your people yeah like i mean i i I only know from from traveling and you know doing the the work that i do it's like you find people and you chat with them but then, like, you'll sit down next to someone and have a conversation, and two hours will go by when normally it's, like, three minutes, and you're just like, how, how do I get out of this? And mm-hmm. then you find those people, and you never exactly want to let them that. go, yeah. like, exactly. ever. So it's, like, and it's rad to find people that you can also work with and be creative with and just, you say, like, four words, and they're like, yep, right. I totally get it. Or the people that you can trust who are going to who are gonna edit you and say, no, that's not a good idea. Oh, totally. Which is rarer than the people who are just like, yeah, man, that's great. Oh, that's so great. And you're like, are you... Is, that, is it really great? Is it really, right. is it really great? Uh, can we hear another song? Yeah. Oh, wait, did you have a thought? Well, I was going <laughs> to say, um, you know, I never, like, plan. And even now, it's not like I have some kind of plan or anything like that. I'm only, you know, there's a great Blanche Dubois line where she's like, I've always um, relied on the kindness of strangers. strangers. And it's like, 
I wouldn't have been here if it weren't for my best friend Chester, who's Lord Raja on Ghostly, trying to like tell me like, "Hey, man, like you, you can really rap and stuff, and like you should just rap over these beats." And then like that happened, and that was mm. a mixtape, and then it was like met some folk like James Blake, and these people were like, "No, you should sing." And it's like not that I haven't been doing these things since I was really young, but like you know, you grow up in a family in a community where you go to church and people are like singing to the hilt, and yeah. those people aren't signed. Like they go back, they go home, and they raise their kids and it's like really humbling to you so i grew up being like yeah i could do all these things but like i'm only gonna do the one i'm tried and tested in and like right you know so acting was that thing but it's been nice with the support system to feel support it's good um it's good to have encouragement yeah yeah uh so what's the name of the next song uh next song is uh slam and mannequin okay awesome well here we have slam and mannequin live on snacky tunes Let it go Way that I love you so I've got to let you know that You could be my slamming mannequin girl Rock the greatest fashions And let it in, baby Who's to say that You're not falling in love with me, baby You can be my slamming mannequin girl Rock the greatest fashions And let it in Uh, that's a little sample in there. Yeah, all right. Yeah, a little fun. So, uh, yeah, you can go. No, you go. Um, so, out video drops tomorrow. Yes. And uh, what does the rest of your year look like? Um, what would you like it to look like? 
I might. Well, I'm, oh man, it might be premature to say. I might be doing. Speaking of George, I might be doing this Purple Rain Meadowlands. Oh thing yeah, I saw that. That looks amazing. I mean, you did <laughs> you did Sign of the Times in full, right, at Brooklyn Bowl? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How how was that? Well. That day, my dad was stuck in Peru and had to have emergency surgery. Oh, no. And then also, at the same time I found that out, I found out that we had been moved early in the slot because none other than Usher and The Roots were going to play right after us. And I was like, all right, cool. Yeah, I mean, who's who's bumping us? Who's bumping? That's fine. No, no, it wasn't even. (laughs) It's funny. But it was just like, at that point, I was such a shell shock. I was like, all right. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Did you pull some like alum, like high school, uh, sorry, middle school alum card with Usher? Oh man, I didn't get to I didn't get to meet him. Mm. But um, I did have a private powwow with Questlove though, which Is was it, pretty he's awesome. Yeah, especially when he's playing you all the most rare prints you could ever imagine. The stuff that people always thought was deleted, and that's all I'm gonna say on that. Oh um, man. Uh, so you might play with George for the medals, which looks like I mean. That Sunday, that Sunday lineup, I mean, the weekend looks good, but that Sunday lineup looks incredible. Crazy. Explain yeah. to the people what it is. Uh, it's the new Governor Ball uh, Festival in October. Okay. And that Sunday, it's like George doing Purple Rain and Fubu, but also Chance and Kanye. Mm-hmm. And I mean, th- I mean, that's kind of, I mean, there's more, but you know, that's, that's enough for a Sunday. Bonkers. Yeah. Um, and then you are working on a new LP as well. Sure I am. Yeah. Okay. Working on a new LP. It's a lot of. Because crucial, the last EP I put out was was kind of it, it was a the project of college and stuff, and so a lot of that was finished. And I've been writing the LP for some time now, and it's it's coming. It's coming. It, it's time. It's time to birth it. It's time. Uh, and then uh, some upcoming shows in August as well, right? Yes, um, uh, August tenth at Come On Everybody, and I believe August sixteenth at the House of Yes. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, we want to make sure we have time for. One more song. Also, congrats oh. on the New York Times. Thank you piece. so much. Yeah, that was like really cool to see as well. And that's like, I mean, damn, dude, twenty three. Hey. Like, that's pretty. It's pretty rad. Good intuition. We've, we've always Thank said you. that um, you've really made it as a New Yorker when you get your name in New York Times. Yeah. Wow. That that also like gets everyone off your back for at least a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. You're yeah, like, yeah, like, it's good. Like, all right, mom, dad. Like, yeah. We're yeah. Cool. We're cool. I know. We're I, cool. Got, yeah. I got the copies in my closet. Did you Did you send one to everyone to your brothers just to show them up? Hey, man, wasn't sure if you saw it. Wasn't sure. Hope you're doing well. I dropped. I definitely dropped the link in the group text. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can't, um, you can't sign a group text though. Um, so where can people find you? Find your EP. Find your tour date. For, t- tour dates. Get a hold of you. Um, I think all the music's on on Spotify and and title and what have you and um, you can check the Facebook page it's just dot com slash this is starchild and also my um, Twitter is black till the future it's B-L-K-T-I-L the future like the film but not the film. And then my Instagram is Bob McFerrin. Like the man, but not the man. Uh, got it. And shout out to Sam from Ghostly. Yeah, shout and out Amanda to Sam as well. And Amanda Clemenson. And this next song is the first single on the next LPs dedicated to them. I believe awesome. it said this is the first single off the new album. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 Amazing. Uh, well, thanks to Wine Enthusiast Magazine. Darren, good to see you in studio. It's so good. Shout out to uh, the whole Heritage family Dave, Patrick, Aaron. Hi to Anna and Ornella. Hi to Anna, Ornella. Shout out to Mom and Dad, to Meatball. And thank you for the uh, Roberta's Pizza. Delicious. (laughs) You went wild. Um, All right. Star Child, take us out. This song is called Hanging On.
Program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.